0: Okay, so, up here. all right, well, last week, if you were here, we, you know, we started a uh, <clears throat> study on the case for creation, and this is not going to be a real long study, it'll be a few weeks, but I just wanted to get into it. Um, you know, in our introduction, we talked about the case for creation from a biblical perspective perspective right and we raised several basic questions which I'm sure most of you probably have asked yourself at some point in your life probably when you were pretty young you know where where did life come from how did it all begin who who created us how did we get here what what's the deal here and a couple other questions that might come out of that is is all matter that this world this universe is made up of is it eternal Does it just last forever? Does things just change through natural processes? Or could it be that matter is not eternal? That it has a beginning and an end, therefore implying that there had to be some supernatural force that started it or created it? A supreme being, perhaps. These questions come up. (coughs) And we looked at the biblical side of things last week, The, the verses the many verses in scripture that we can read that says things were created by God. God created the universe, Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that was one, but we had many, many others, many, many other verses. And we also looked at some of the concepts scientists use today. You know, you, you read it, you just get on the internet and look it up, you know. Scientists say that the earth is 4.5 billion years old and the universe is eh, roughly 14 billion years old. Yet you can go to the Bible and look at the genealogies and things and you can kind of figure out, well, if you look at it that way, you would come up with about 6,000 years old, much younger Earth. And we talked about how scientists look at things as if they've always been the same, right? And then we read a verse from 2 Peter where Peter's talking about the second coming really, and he's saying there's gonna be scoffers in the end who don't believe, who say, well, where is this Jesus that you're come, talking about It's going to come back? He's not coming back. It, it, everything's the same, just like it's always been from the beginning of time. But then Peter goes and say, but they forget about something. They forget there was this flood. They forget that God changed some things. You say, maybe it's not always been the same. Maybe our con- concept of aging things or, or, or how the earth was formed how it's progressed has not always been the same sir perhaps there were some catastrophic events that changed things we we talked about that just a little bit but we really wanted to look at the biblical evidence for creation and and it's pretty plain right i mean we talked about that when we're we're little kids if you're raised in the church in bible class that's one of the first things you learn right that god created the universe he created the heavens earth He created the animals the birds in the air the fish in the sea right we sing songs about it we learn little songs about it i can remember that myself learning that when i was little but many are not content with simply accepting the biblical record the biblical evidence right they want something else they want to see some other evidences or other ideas that say okay so tell me Tell me, tell me how you really know. Just the Bible, okay, so the Bible says that. Whoopee. I want to know from some other evidences. How do how we know that God created the heavens and the earth? How did this happen? Well, one way we can do that is uh, by looking and observing at things in our lives, in our, in our world, philosophically. okay? Not necessarily scientifically. There's a difference. But there are some philosophical cases that we can ponder to say, yeah, there was a creator who created the universe. There was a God who did this in the beginning, just like we read in Genesis one. First and foremost, you might say, well, okay, so, so what are you talking about here? Well, let's turn over to Romans chapter two and read a couple verses from there. Beginning in verse 12. Romans chapter 2 And let me set this up a little bit the first couple of chapters of Romans Paul's writing to the Christians in Rome and saying look the Gentiles Didn't have the law you Jews that became, you know You're reading Christians, but the Jews had the law and he said you knew the truth from the law that you were given The Gentiles didn't know it yet. They're without excuse because they knew of a law simply by being in nature, by being in creation. Read what he says beginning in verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these although not having the law are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in other words in the day when god would judge the secrets of men by jesus christ according to my gospel so paul's saying there is something even in the gentiles that didn't have the law that knows there's a law that knows there's a certain sense of, I need to be doing something a certain way. In fact, there's a sense, we'll call it a sense of ought, perhaps, that I need to do something the right way. Even those who don't necessarily know the absolute truth that's been revealed through the Word of God, through the law, still have that sense, right? That there's a right and wrong. There is a good and evil. And I ought to be doing things the right way. Even among the remotest tribes and civilization, they still have this sense of awe, right? Of doing things the right way. And you think about it, to have civilization, you've got to have that, right? You've got to have people who are willing to do things the right way according to a certain set of standards, of laws, right? Or else what will you have? Chaos, right? You'll have evil running rampant in the streets so there is this sense that we need to be doing the right things think about that even an atheist or an agnostic someone who doesn't believe in god or says they don't believe in god still wants justice right think about that if an atheist daughter was raped do you think that man wants justice for his daughter or say his wife was murdered Do you think he would want justice for his wife's murder? So there's a sense, even among those who don't believe in God, that there's a right and wrong. There's a good and evil. This is also called the anthropological argument. The moral meter in man suggests a moral being as the original cause of life. Turn over to Psalm 89 and let's see what I'm talking about there. psalm 89 and let's just bring uh, start reading in uh, verse 11 the heavens are yours the earth also is yours the world and all its fullness you have founded them the north and the south you have created them tabor and Haman, rejoice in your name you have a mighty arm strong is your hand and high is your right hand righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. You see, the psalmist there is saying, you created everything, and my mercy and truth and righteousness are emanated from you. In other words, God is the force behind this sense that we have of doing right, the right thing. This idea that we can discern between something that's good and something that's evil. But if there is no God, then really there is no right and wrong, right? I mean, we've talked about that recently and at the end of our study of John. How do we know the truth? Well, first we can, we can glean things from nature. We can observe things, right? There are things we can see, there are things we can understand from our senses But we don't know everything Right there's still unanswered questions when it comes to that How do we learn that through the revealed truth from the supreme being right so without that? How do we know morality? How would you know that it's not okay to take another man's wife? How would you know that it's okay not to? it's not okay to lie? How would you know That it's not okay to steal or covet. You know, these are all part of the Ten Commandments, right? Interesting, isn't it? Even in those who don't believe, there's a sense of righteousness. If there is no God, however, no atheist can object to someone raping their daughter, right? I mean, if there's no moral truth, if anybody can do what they want, How can you object to that? Why should you receive justice when there's no absolute truth? There's no right or wrong, right? You can kind of understand the concept there, right? It's, It's a basic concept. When you were a little kid and you didn't get the gift you wanted and your brother or sister did, what did you do? You didn't like that too much, did you? And you said, wait a minute. He going, what did I, you know? Even as kids, there's a sense there, right? A fairness, right and wrong, truth. That's in us. That's built in already. There's nothing, nothing out, nothing outside of us that we have to learn that, other than understanding the truth. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, Kurt's saying, you know, in the world, what truth is, to us, is dumbed down for us. It's ridiculous. They look at us like we're pitiful in that sense, right? And what we believe in our wisdom, and we've talked about that, right? God's wisdom, you know, how... man's wisdom is nothing compared to god's wisdom right and we yeah, that's good the proverbs talking about the proverbs having things we can understand and things we can apply to our lives and they're truths they are absolutely truths they're not necessarily promises in that respect but they if followed will prove out to be good things yes absolutely we can know these things simply by being in creation there's also something else that we might call well brother colvin calls the universal Religious instinct. When you think about it, if you have a sense of ought, a sense that you need to be doing the right thing, not the wrong thing, a sense of good and evil, understanding that, then you gotta understand there's something behind that creation, something behind that idea that there is a right and wrong. And, and, and it makes you wanna seek that out, right? It makes you wanna understand, well, what is right and wrong? What should I be doing then if I wanna do what's right? How do I know what that is? Men in all the world and throughout all time not only have believed in a deity, but they've also engaged in acts of worship and devotion to that deity. All right? The religious principle is extremely potent in all nations, dominating thought and history. These are quotes you'll see in your outline if you you see it. Everywhere the human heart has a craving for God. There will be exceptions as individuals but the exceptions do not invalidate the rule. The atheist is an exception in every society. Have you studied history at all? Have you looked back at ancient civilizations in your world civilizations class? Some younger folks are closer to that, some of us older folks. Every society that you ever look at had a God, right? And they had some kind of Worship or practice that they devoted to that God Some of them not so good where they sacrificed children right in Central America, I guess I don't know if it's the Aztecs or the Mayans that did some of that maybe both some of you history guys know that Yeah, they did some bad stuff in worship and devotion to their gods, but they had gods because They had a religious instinct a sense of right and wrong a sense of needing a help Needing a guide, needing someone to tell them and teach them the truth between right and wrong. So, for every deep longing of man, there is something that satisfies it, right? For instance, we get hungry, right? I get hungry a lot. (laughs) I eat a lot of food, too much sometimes, right? Everything we long for, there's a sense. There's a sense for a longing for companionship, right? God provided us companion. That's a possibility. There's all things in this world uh, that has a longing. There's something that can satisfy it, including a longing for God, a longing for a supreme beating. Look over in Ecclesiastes. Let's read a verse from that book. If I can remember where it is, please ask you three. Verse nine: What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and He also put eternity in their hearts. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. What is Solomon saying there? God's put eternity in man's hearts. This comes from God, this sense of ought, this desire to be religious, to worship God, to de- have devotion to your God. And then turn over to Acts 17, and let's see something that Paul says about that. And this is when he has a sermon to the unknown God. You remember that? And what he said about it? <clears throat> Beginning right at the, well, let's go with verse 23. Therefore, he's talking about the unknown God which he saw at the Areopagus. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gave gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he is made from one blood, every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and we have our being. As also some of, you, some of your own points have said, for we, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. You see, Paul's saying to the Romans, the Greeks, I know this unknown God that you don't know. And by the way, he's the reason you have all these gods and these temples and these statues here, to all these gods who are all false. But that's the reason you do it, because he put it in you to seek him. He's telling them about him. And then let's turn over to Romans chapter 1. Let's read something he said to the Christians in Rome. beginning In verse um, 18, Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God shown it to them. In other words, he's saying, they knew about God simply by being created. God manifested it in them. For since the creation world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse talking about the Gentiles here, didn't have the law, but they know about God. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, there's Kurt, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So they were seeking a God, but instead of finding the God they made idols. And they made them after the created instead of the creator. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worship and served the creature rather than the Creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Worshipping idols, the creature. And then notice what else. This is going to be a little bit of a digression from what I'm talking about here, but just notice what he says here. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, "...to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy and loving, unforgiving and who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death." Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice him. Does that sound like the world today? (laughs) Sorry. What's he talking about here? Yes, sir. Sir? I think you mentioned it earlier uh, when Peter said uh, God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's up yep. to us to go to his word and find what that is. It is in here. Yep. Uh, men can live righteous if we would just follow God. Yes, sir. It it is so sad that I know I digress a little bit there but I read something yesterday about a woman in the Church of Christ out in Texas who has struggled with homosexuality her whole life and trying to be a Christian and now she's decided she's finally figured out a way to have a same-sex marriage and still be a Christian and you know you read that and think what a bunch of baloney right of course I want to hear what she has to say I want to understand how she justifies that, right? Because I don't see any way around these passages right here. She's worshiping the creature, not the creator. We have idols even today. Not necessarily statues or temples to other gods, but we have idols that we worship, right? And this world is full of it. Our nation is full of it. Depravity is unbelievable. You just turn on the TV and you see it now. It's unbelievable. I have this sense in the last couple of years that it's really making a turn, right? You get that? I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It gets depressing, but then you have to remember we serve a righteous God. And it's just as Brother Ironman said, we can know the truth and the truth can set us free. Absolutely. Yeah, can you hear that? Kurt's talking about that's what's going on in our schools, too, with our kids, and it's hard to combat it. Absolutely. Well, I don't want to digress too far off of that, because we need to continue on with what we're talking about here. But keep in mind that we can know the truth through what the Word has told us, right? We have that sense of ought. We have that sense of a supreme being, a God. Everybody has it in them, whether they suppress it or not. Life from random chance chance, or from being evolved does not explain this sense of needing a God, this sense of religion, a religious instinct, a sense of ought. It doesn't explain that, right? If we just randomly happened, how can there be these ideas that there's right and wrong? What else can we say from the philosophical side of things? Well, Perhaps it's creation itself. When you look at creation and really think about how things work in our world or our universe and our, in, in the sky and the heavens, and then you study a little bit and you understand, wow, that's how that works. It, it gives you that sense of, of awe, doesn't it? Awesomeness. And then you can go out on a mountaintop in the evening and see the sunset and just be completely blown away from the beauty right it just inspires you doesn't it or seeing a child being born your child or or your grandchild which I'm never gonna get to see but I have seen my child born it's awesome isn't it it blows you away the beauty and there's design there that you know has to cause that to happen we can observe that beauty, that idea of sublimity and say, how did this get to be this way? There had to be a God or some supreme being that created all this. Or else, if it's just by chance, wouldn't things kind of be kind of dull? And I mean, you think about it, what happens to your garden if you don't tend it? It's pretty when you start when stuff comes, but then the weeds get in there and the rain comes and washes stuff away. It gets kind of nasty looking, don't it? You lose that beauty. It just doesn't happen by chance. Turn over to Exodus chapter 28. Let's read something there. Exodus chapter 28. And let's just begin at the first verse. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as a priest, Aaron and Aaron's son, Nadab, uh, yeah, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and notice this verse, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. This is God telling them, create this stuff and make it beautiful. Hmm. So where does this beauty come from? Turn over to Psalm 19. I know we're jumping around here, but these are very critical verses, very interesting to think about. If I can get over there. My psalms and my Job get mixed up too much. <laughs> Sometimes I find myself reading in the wrong one. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of, the God, of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day and today utter speech, and night and tonight reveals knowledge. The psalmist says the heavens declare the glory of God. When you look at the heavens in the sunset, it's so beautiful, right? Has anybody ever been up north and seen the... Northern Lights, a few of you have. I'd love to do that sometime. I would imagine that's pretty awe-inspiring to see is isn't it, it's pretty, pretty amazing. There's things in this creation that blow your mind that we can see is so beautiful, it's so well-designed for us to understand there's a God. That's part of it. Life from random chance does not explain the presence of beauty and sublimity in the world. Interesting concept, right? You ever think about that, though? I mean, the world's beautiful. Would it be that way if there was no God? I don't think so. A Couple more things, we're starting to run out of time here, but a couple of things that are a little more scientific, they're still philosophical, but one is every effect must have a cause. One form of this argument has three simple steps. Whatever begins to exist must have a cause. The universe began to exist. It's not always been here. Therefore, the universe has a cause. How do we know the universe began at some point? Well, scientists tell us that, right? We know that. They can figure it out. This argument is known, you can go back in time, there's been several different versions of the argument. One he mentions in your outline is the Kalam Cosm- Cosmological Argument, which says that uh, it was formed by a Muslim named Al-Ghazali back around 1000 uh, AD or tw- 1100 AD, somewhere in there, basically saying anything that began to exist had a cause. All right, If something started, there was a cause for it. <coughs> Many scientists today say the universe started with a Big Bang. Okay? Now, you can make a whole study on whether that's true or whatever. But if that's true, that was caused by something, right? It had to come into being. Even that is an effect of something causing it. Of course, the Bible reveals what could have caused it, right? Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This fails to note the first premises of the argument. Well, I'm sorry. But a common objection you might hear to that is, Well, if God caused the universe to come to being, who caused God? Right? You ever heard that? Maybe you thought that, right? Go back to Psalm chapter 90 there. Let's read what Psalm says here in Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world even from everlasting to everlasting you are God God's been here forever there was no beginning he's been here forever that's hard for us to understand right? yes sir That's true. Very good point. Very good point, Brother Iverson. Yep, that is true. Turn over to Romans 1 again. I know we've been spending a lot of time in Romans 1, but there's a lot of good stuff there when it comes to creation. And we actually already read this verse, but I'm going to read it again. Romans 1, verse uh, 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse he's from everlasting everlasting he has eternal power Jeremiah 23 I'm not going to read it but his omnipresence illustrates how he defies the laws of nature like I said scientists look at things now and kind of say well that's the way it's always been so we can go back and measure things We can look at things, well, they are so many years old, as Brother John said. We can kind of try to glean things by the way we see it. But guess what? It's not necessarily been that way. And God is not of nature. He's spirit. We know that from John 4. Jesus told the woman at the well, God is spirit. He lives in a different realm than we understand. Therefore, who caused God is an irrelevant question. He never began. Remember what I said about that cause and effect. Anything that begins to exist has a cause. But God didn't begin to exist. He's just existed. He's eternal, everlasting, everlasting. We know that from Scripture. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Problems, the right. You know, so, you know, even the first beginning of the of human only goes back like 5, years, 1, years. But they say the Earth is 10 years old. So we know that the measurement of time And time. Right. They can't even prove that. Right. Yeah. As John said, man will never know. Truly. They try to say it, but as, and, and, and that's exactly right. They don't know that the time, measurements, all these things that we measure has always been this way to, to even do it. Think of the flood, things changed a lot. Think of when Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden. For all we knew, that was the world at the time, right? Things changed, he had to start working in the field. Didn't have to do that before, right? So th- something changed there, right? Things have changed over time, it's not necessarily always been the same way. So, God is the ultimate first cause, not an effect, not someone who came into existence requiring someone to cause him, and it doesn't apply if, if, if uh, matter has been eternal. It doesn't apply, you can't, you can't get God from that. Okay, so, there's also, Discoveries and things like molecular biology and other scientific fields that strongly support and evidence of intelligent design. For instance, whatever is designed, well, first of all, whatever is designed requires a designer, right? <coughs> a watch shows design, right? You look at your watch, you think that's pretty precise, pretty intricate piece of machinery, right? There had to be a watchmaker that knew what he was doing to create that you can glean that simply by looking at it right to credit that kind of workmanship and that kind of precise intricate timing to chance is ludicrous right anybody in their right mind would say that many things in the world show this similar evidence of design do they not Think about our solar system. You can exactly predict where any planet in our solar system is gonna be at any time because it's constant. It's constantly doing something and it's designed to be that way. Then you just have it by random chance. Animal instinct, think about that. Ever thought about how fish or birds know to migrate to some place for the winter? How do they know that? Have you ever looked at the monarch butterfly that come from all the way to the United States to a place in Mexico and land on this one little tree? It's fascinating. How do they know that? Did that just randomly happen? Think of our cells that science has been able to study and show us, the makeup of our cells, the machine of our cells, yes, sir. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And remember, evolution is a theory. And as Kurt's mentioned, that there's some stuff in evolution that... Blow, that it, it always blows my mind to hear someone say they, they're an evolutionist and think, that's so much harder to believe than there is a God. Yeah, exactly. Intelligent design supports a being with intelligent purpose. Intelligence creation, tell it a being that could create something as magnificent as our universe. To credit this kind of thing to something else is crazy, like we just said. I mean, as Paul talked about the Gentiles in Romans 1, all you got to do is look outside, look at creation. You remember when that comet came through, what, back about a year ago? The new one that they didn't know existed? Because it takes like 6,000 years to. Come around and pass the Earth, and it's interesting how they can figure out how many years it takes for that comet to go around, isn't it? I couldn't see it from the house one night, but I got my binoculars and I came up here on the hill one night, and I could see that thing over there plain as day, it like a big old plume of smoke. In the, and, and and you know, I figured out they told they could actually tell you which star to look at and how far from the star. Figured out, and I was standing up here one night just by myself. It was awesome, it was coolest thing I'd seen in a while, you know. That's all you got to do. Say what? Yes, the human body, exactly. The cells, the molecular makeup, right, of our bodies. That's right. That just randomly happened. Our cells just came together, as, as Kurt said, and formed a body. Yeah. Life from random chance does not explain intelligent design. And that's absolutely true. Our universe. Has design it couldn't exist without some kind of design there had to be someone that created it there had to be a watchmaker that put the precise intricate details into the DNA of our bodies into the universe to make it work like it does one of the reasons scientists know there's a big bang is they look at uh, the distance that planets are from the earth and then over time they see those are getting farther away did you know that they see the universe is still expanding out. The only way that could be happening is because something started it at some point and it started expanding out. I don't know the science all behind that, but that's what I've read and that's what they say. It makes sense, doesn't it? Five basic philosophical arguments. Sense of awe, sense of religious uh, instinct, beauty in the world, cause and effect, the idea that there's a cause and an effect, and intelligent design. These are mostly philosophical, as I've said. Next week, we're going to get into scientific arguments. I know we've run over time a little bit, but I figured we'd do that today. So uh, look, look forward to next week.